told Pastor Gary that passage earlier in the week, and uh, a lot can happen in one week. So I'm going to use that passage, but we're going to come back to it at the end. And I'm going to kind of uh, just go through some passages with you, with you this morning. Let me tell you guys where we're at right now. I've uh, got a lot of questions about that this morning. Uh, we are, we just moved out of our house yesterday, so that was one of the biggest things keeping us here, was renting our house, because we couldn't sell it. So, moved out of our house yesterday, and moved in with Missy's parents yesterday. So, staying with the in-laws for, I don't know, a few weeks, we'll, we'll see how that goes. Um, but, staying with in-laws for a few weeks until we can find housing in Toronto. Miss and I will be going up to Toronto next week to look for housing, and hopefully we'll find somewhere that we can afford and move up in the next few weeks to Toronto. So, um, yeah, we are, we're, we're about to go. Um, I got a few questions this morning about my mom as well. Uh, she, she was doing great after her treatments. The past, uh, the past week, week and a half, she's really regressed. Um, she has all this joint pain, and uh, she can't, she told me the other day, she can't even open a bottle of water without it hurting all the way her arm. So, just keep her in your prayers. Pray that she would remember God's goodness. Um, it's often difficult when uh, you come through something like that, you think everything's great, and then you kind of go back into it. So, uh, pray that she'd remember who God is, that she'd be dependent upon God, that her faith would increase, um, and that uh, God's goodness would just be evident in her life. So uh, they're they're doing good. Our girls are doing great. They're back there somewhere. Um, so thank you so much for all the prayers. Um, and let's get into it. So this morning, uh, as I said, I started out and I wanted to go to Exodus 33. And this week, just praying and thinking through that passage and some other passages. I really just want to challenge you guys this morning. Uh, you know, I want to challenge and encourage you not to just exist. Uh, so I want you to think about a question this morning. What is more important to you than God? You think that's, that's probably that's kind of a weird question. Uh, but think about that. What is more important to you than God? Than living for God? Than serving God? What do you put above God in your life? And you may or may not have thought about that recently. But if you really think about it, you can probably think about a few things that you put above God in your life. My friend uh, spoke to a college friend a couple of weeks ago. And he told me, this is kind of how he put the question to his wife. He's, God's really dealing with them. He's thinking about what their future is going to look like. Both of them have banking jobs. Uh, live in Wilmington, North Carolina, and uh, they're having a child on the way, and everything seems set for them. And God's just been really speaking to him and kind of leading them, him in a new direction. So we asked his wife uh, a few weeks ago, um, how far will your faith take you? She thought, well, that's, that's a weird question. Uh, but he was asking her, how far geographically? Well, how far... Will you go for God? And he didn't really like the answer he received. She was kind of taken aback, aback by it. And um, what was she? She said, "I don't know if my faith would take me out of Wilmington." 
And that was because family was close by, their jobs were there, all their friends are there. The church that has been so instrumental in bringing them up in the faith is there. All that is there. And she said, uh, her response was, I don't think I could leave Wilmington. And so if you think about her example, her, her response, what's, what's she putting above, above God? Well, she's putting all the things I just mentioned. Her church home, her family, uh, her job. And none of these are bad things, right? None of those are inherently evil. None of those uh, are bad unless you put those above God. And that's the problem. When you start putting things above God, and that controls the direction of your life. Um, if we put all those things above God, we wouldn't be going to Toronto. The only reason we're going to Toronto is because of God. It's because those people need Jesus. We have good jobs. We have a great house. We have all Missy's family is here. My family's fairly close by. Um, but we, we know that God's purposes are more important than our own. And so, no matter where you are, whether you're in Castalia, White Level, Senegal, Lewisburg, Raleigh, or Toronto, God's purposes, God's purposes should be more important than your own. So what are God's purposes? Well, uh, our purpose, according to the scriptures, uh, and I take this from 2 Corinthians 4.15 if you want to look it up later, is that we are to extend God's grace and to give glory and honor to God. So, if our purpose in life is to give glory and honor to God, the chief means of doing that is to extend His grace, is to make disciples, is to get more people giving glory and honor to God. So that should be the purpose that is dictating uh, what you do in your life, where you go, how you live it, um, what job you do, what people you associate yourself with, what church you go to, what, uh, what you do on your spare time, you know, what things you watch on TV, what kind of music you listen to, what kind of movies you see, how you speak to people, how you drive. That's a, that's a problem area for me, <laughs> as, you guys, as you guys know, uh, but I'm working on it. Um, so, uh, all, all those things, um, though God's purposes should dictate those areas in our lives. So, back to, the, back to the question, what is more important to you than God? I may have given you some, some answers there. And we all put things above, above God's purposes in our lives. And our job, and the Spirit's job, as we co cooperate with Him, is to allow Him to weed those things out of our lives. To show us where those areas are, and to make the right priorities, and make the right switch there. And a few weeks ago, I was talking to Missy, and uh, we were talking about just, just the scriptures in general. And I, I asked her, well, who, who should we look up to in our, in our faith? Whose example are we following? And most of you would probably say we're following Christ's example. We're following the example of Christ. And that's, that's kind of an abstract, kind of in-the-cloud statement. You say, yeah... I'm, I'm a disciple of Christ, I'm a follower of Christ, I'm following his example. Uh, but none of us have really, most of us haven't really taken a chance to wonder, well, what does that exactly mean? Concretely, what does that mean for my life, that I follow Christ? Does that mean that I come to church here on Sunday morning? 
Well, that's, that's a part of it, and that's a really, really, really small part of it. Doesn't mean that uh, I, I help the needy. I saw on Facebook that the, that the church and the youth um, uh, help feed the poor a few weeks ago, or whenever, whenever it was. Um, that's part of it. That's part of uh, living for Christ, is helping others in need. Um, but that, that's, that's a small part, too. Um, so, you know, we have these different areas in our lives. Church on Sunday morning, sometimes Wednesday. We feed, we, we help, help out with the poor every once in a while. Um, those are small parts of our lives. What we need to do is have it constitute our entire lives. And that's what the scriptures give us. You know, we have the, the example of Christ. Paul says it. He says, I'm imitating Christ. And as I imitate Christ, you imitate me. And that's what really made me start thinking about, well, if we don't imitate Christ, let's at least imitate some of the apostles and disciples and, and uh, figures in the Old Testament. So, uh, let's look at Abraham. Abraham left his homeland. He's, Abraham's doing basically what we're doing. He left his homeland, took everything he had. God said, go to the land that I'm going to show you. Except, yeah, in Abraham's case, he didn't know exactly where he was going. Um, go go the land I'm going to show you, and uh, I'll guide your way. Abraham leaves everything, and he goes. If you look at that passage closely, uh, Abraham leaves with his father, Terah, at first. Abraham leaves with his father, Terah, this is from Genesis chapter 12, and, and his nephew, Lot. So they take all their family, a huge caravan, and they're just headed into the wilderness. And uh, they stop, before they get to Canaan, which is where they're headed, they stop in this place called Haran. And Abraham waits for Terah to die. Terah dies there. And that's all we know. We don't hear anything else about Abraham's father, except that they leave the land, they stop at Haran, and Terah dies. And when Terah dies, that's when Abraham's call is articulated in the scriptures. Genesis chapter 12. Uh, so, Abraham then, he picks up his whole family again, and he keeps on going. And we have there kind of a contrast of uh, two people who were following God. And one follows God to a certain place, and then he just dies, and we don't hear anything else about him. The other one follows God, and he goes to where God is leading him, and what do we, and the whole scriptures are around uh, are we hear the whole scriptures based on that covenant that God made with Abraham that he's going to be a blessing to the nations that God's going to give him this land that uh, the seed the Messiah is going to come through Abraham's line and it does and you can trace that all the way to Jesus Christ so we have here two examples from Genesis chapter twelve of two different people. Who were, living, who were living for God, but one, all we know is that he lived and he died. The other one made a huge impact on the kingdom of God for Christ. And that other one, Abraham, he stumbles along the way. He's not perfect. He's, he's just like you and I. He sins. He forgets God's promises. He tries to make things happen on his own. And then... God brings him back, and he trusts in God, and God reaffirms the promise for him. He reaffirms the covenant. And Abraham, you see towards the end of Abraham's life, he has unwavering faith in Christ. I mean, in God. Um, just unwavering faith. And it's a journey for him. So we shouldn't expect to be where Abraham is at the end of his life. It's going to be a journey for us, too. But 
we should at least have the willingness. And Missy, and Missy and I have been, since we've left here in January, we've been to a lot of churches and spoken at a lot of churches, and just uh, because we have to raise our support, so we don't have, um, we don't have, uh, NAM, the North American Mission Board, isn't fully funding us, so we have to raise money in order to live in, in Toronto. So we've been speaking at a lot of churches, and one thing that people say to us, and I get this more than anything else uh, at the end of the service, is, uh, wow, you're, you're so brave. You are so brave. I can't believe that you guys are doing this. It, it's just awesome that you're doing this, and you are so brave. We hear that word over and over again. You're brave, you're brave, you're brave. What I wish they would say, uh, instead of saying that we're brave, and then that's it, is saying, no, I would be, I would be willing to do what you're, what you're doing. If God leads me, I'd be doing exactly what you're doing. That's what I want from you guys. And that's what I want from these people we speak to. Uh, because bravery, bravery is just, it's the virtue of the foolish. Bravery is nothing. We don't have bravery, we have faith. We have faith in the God who created the universe. We have faith that He's real. And that this life we're here, it's not, this life we're living here, isn't just to live and then to die like Tara. It's to live and do something with it for the kingdom of God, like Abraham. So, we don't want to hear from people that, oh, we're brave, and I couldn't do that. We want to hear from you that you'd be willing to go wherever God would lead you. That you'd be willing to go and do whatever God would have you to do. Now, I, it's probably safe to say that most of you, if not all of you, aren't going to end up in Toronto. And I'm not saying you're going to end up in Toronto. And most of you, if not all of you, may not even leave here. That's not the, that's not the point. Our geographical location isn't the point. But what are you doing here for God? What are you doing at your workplace for God? What are you doing in this community, uh, in this church for God that affects His kingdom according to those purposes we talked about? Giving glory to God and bringing others to Christ. Because that's what it's all about. If we're not bringing others to Christ, then we're not living for God. If we're not making sacrifices in our faith, then we're not, and in our lives, and we're not living for God. And uh, you can turn here. Uh, turn to Matthew 10. I'm going to go over a few tough passages in the New Testament that are coming from the mouth of Jesus, and then we'll go back to Exodus in the end eventually. So, yeah, turn to Matthew chapter 10, beginning in verse 34. So, Matthew 10, verse 34 as I said, these are some sayings of, of Christ that we're not all that familiar with, maybe. Um, one of these things that we'll get to, I remember when I first, my first year here, I said this to the youth. And a couple of them said, that's not in the Bible. They, they didn't believe me. Um, so we'll go over a few of these. So, beginning verse 34, let me read uh, to verse 39. It says, Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. This is Christ talking. You've got to remember, this is in the context of Jesus sending out his 12 disciples, of him telling them that persecution is inevitable if they're going to live for him. And he's telling them, hey, um, don't, don't fear that. I'm with you. So he says, don't think that I've come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, 
but a sword. You'll read, it, you'll read it elsewhere in Scripture, in Ephesians, for instance, that Christ has come to bring peace. These things on the surface seem like they're uh, mutually exclusive, like they cancel one another out. But remember the context. Christ isn't talking about um, peace between God and man. and He makes peace between us for salvation, between God and man. He makes peace between us uh, because uh, we're to love one another, we're to love even our enemies. Here, he's talking about something wholly different. So just bear with me as you read it. For I've come to set a man against his father. He's talking about the cost of discipleship. A man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. I don't know how much Jesus has to work to set the daughter-in-law against the mother-in-law. I think that just happens sometimes. Uh, So daughter-in-law against the mother-in-law. Verse 36, And a person's enemies will be those of his own household, of his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. So he says, whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. I have two daughters, two beautiful daughters. I love them. Uh, You know, some people told me, you don't know what love is until you have children. I was like, yeah, whatever. Uh, <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm young. I don't, just like me talking to youth, they're like, yeah, whatever. Uh, sometimes. Uh, but, you know, you just kind of brush that off because you don't know until you experience it. And uh, having children didn't just show me what, what love is, but it increased my love for my wife and for my parents. Now I understand what my parents went through. Um, so uh, he says here, that uh, whoever loves son or daughter more than me, or father and mother, is not worthy of me. And that's a hard statement. That is a difficult statement uh, to think about. So verse 38, And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. So, you know, we hear this statement a lot coming from verse 38, take up your cross and follow me. What what exactly does that mean? I think many of us think that it means, oh, we just need to carry a burden for Christ. You know, we just need to carry this, this burden, a load on our backs for Christ. But that's not what he's talking about. He's talking about a willingness to do whatever it takes for the kingdom. He's talking about just what, what we just talked about having a willingness to do whatever it takes. And the cross, of course, is a symbol of of death. That's where people die. And it's not a pleasant death. It's not an easy death. It's not a a lethal injection. It's a grueling death. And he's preparing us for following him. He says, following me isn't easy. It's going to be difficult. There's going to be hardships. There's going to be unpleasantries. There's going to be persecution, and there may even be death. And he says, you need to be willing to do that for me. And if you're not willing to do it for God, you're not willing to do it for anybody. And a lot of us would say, well, I died for my children. Um, But God is the one who created you. And I would challenge you, if you're not willing to do it for God, then you wouldn't do it for your children. Um, Or you've got to think backwards. So, he says, take up your cross. If you don't do that, then you're not worthy of me. 
says, you're not worthy of me. You don't even belong in my presence, is what he's saying. And that's tough. Now, there's a, uh, if you go to Luke, turn to Luke. This is Luke's account of the passage. And uh, if you read both of these side by side, Luke chapter 14, if you read both of these side by side, it's almost like Matthew uh, paraphrases the idea and the thought of what Jesus was teaching. And if you read Luke 14, it's like this is a word-for-word account of what Jesus said. So, Luke 14, verse 26. Remember, this is uh, underneath, many of your headings might say the cost of discipleship. This is underneath the cost of following Christ, of what it means to be a true follower, a genuine follower, an authentic follower of Jesus Christ. So beginning in verse 26 of Luke 14, he says, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. So Matthew kind of uh, softened it up a little bit. Luke here says, If you don't hate your own father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, your whole family, and even your own life, you can't be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. So, there's some powerful statements in there. He doesn't say, you know, you, you can almost be my disciple, or you can be my disciple sometimes. He says, you can't. It's impossible. You can't do it. You know, and uh, Jesus loves you. He does. But following him demands obedience. It requires it. Christ demands sacrifice. Our faith requires it. And he's not a God to be trifled with. And there's no in-between. You know, there's no, I live for Christ sometimes, and sometimes I don't. This is, he's talking about a willingness and a mindset, a transformation of your heart here. It's like um, you, can't, you can't be pregnant and not pregnant at the same time. Right? You just either are or you're not. You can't be both at the same time. And you can't be both of these at the same time. And just like in pregnancy, you know, there's this, there's this condition that... I've seen it. I don't know exactly what it's called. Uh, well, I haven't seen it. Uh, I've read about it. Uh, I don't know exactly what it's called, but it is like a ghost pregnancy. It's, it's a person who experiences, who their body makes them think they're pregnant. So all the things that come with pregnancy, morning sickness, um, uh, you know, cravings, gaining, gaining some weight, lactation, all those things that come with pregnancy come with this uh, condition, because her, her body is tricking her into thinking she's pregnant. But the only thing she's missing is a baby. She's missing something on the inside. And that's what, that's what a lot of us are doing in, in our walk with Christ. We're missing something. And it's the transformation of the heart. You know, we're coming to church on Sunday. We go and help feed, feed the poor sometimes. 
but if you look at the rest of our lives, all you would see was a dot here where we serve Christ, a dot there, uh, maybe in a little extended part there. Um, but if you look at the whole of our lives, it's not after Jesus. It's after whatever else we want, our own life, our own way. And Christ is saying here, your whole life should be after me. He says, come after me. He says, follow me. He says, if you don't come after me, if you don't pick up that cross, that willingness to do whatever it takes to live for me, then you can't be my disciple. He says, then you're not my disciple. So, uh, Jesus here is saying, of course, that it begins with the transformation of the heart. You know, we need the transformation of your heart. Because without that, we're not going to have a life that looks like discipleship. We're not going to have a life that looks like Christ. So examine your heart this morning. Examine yourselves this morning uh, as we go through these passages. Turn back to Matthew. Matthew chapter 16. Matthew 16, verse 24. This is another passage where Jesus is telling the disciples to take up their cross. Um, the other one, Luke, Luke doesn't pull any punches. Matthew, Matthew is a little bit, uh, a little bit nicer here. He says, Matthew 16, verse 24. Then Jesus told his disciples, "If anyone will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it." But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? And that's what a lot of us are trying to do. We're trying to gain the world. Look at, look at your life. You're trying to gain the world. Get nice things. And nice things aren't bad. I'm not saying nice things aren't bad. We have nice things. Um... But it's when we put those things above God's purposes that it becomes an idol for us. So, but trying to gain the world, success and fortune, and throw all the things that this world teaches us, that our culture teaches us in there. He says, but what profit is it if you gain the whole world and you forfeit your soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? And he's just putting it another way there. What are you giving in return for your soul? What are you giving up that's taking your soul away? Verse 27, For the Son of Man is going to come with His angels in the glory of His Father, and then He will repay each person <clears throat> according to what He has done. Let me read that again. For the Son of Man is going to come with His angels in the glory of His Father, and then He will repay each person according to what he has done. That should scare us. When I read that, it scares me. And we think, well, you know, God, God is love, and God loves us, and yeah, God does. God is love. The scriptures say that. But as I said earlier, God's not a God to be trifled with. He's still the God that we see in the Old Testament. And he's still the God in Revelation, in the New Testament that we see. He is a God of love, and we can't separate that from His wrath against sin. We can't separate those two. You know, God isn't your buddy. God's not your co-pilot. 
God is the pilot. And yeah, God loves us. And uh, He's a friend to us. But we can't forget that we need to fear God. And we shouldn't even, we shouldn't dumb down that fear to, to just simple reverence and respect. Because, uh, you know, I don't even know what we think that means. We think that means that we just need to respect God. But no, that has a healthy fear in it. I always likened to my relationship with my father growing up. My dad, um, m- many of you actually met my dad. He's been here a few times. He, uh, he's a, well I should say, I'm a lot like him. So you guys would love him. <laughs> uh, or you would hate him. <laughs> but my dad, I'm a lot like my dad, uh, except he has a, he has a mustache. Um, he is, he is extremely friendly, uh, extremely, you can talk to him very easily. Uh, when I was growing up, I was in this mattress store with him. And that was JCPenney, because it only had a mattress section. We were in, we were in the store, and I went to look at something else. My dad was looking at mattresses. Um, I come back, and my dad is reclining on the mattress with the salesperson. And they're just talking. My dad's like up, popped up on his elbow. And I come up and I'm like, am I interrupting something? Uh, should I come back? And that's just the type of guy he is. He just met this guy and they're just, just shooting the breeze, just laying there talking, talking to one another. Um, but uh, I also remember growing up uh, when we would do something wrong and my dad wasn't there. And my mom would say, you just wait till your dad gets home. And that would strike fear in us. Not because I was afraid of my dad. Not because I didn't know that he loved me more than anything. Uh, but I knew that if I stepped out of line, he would discipline me and put me back in line. Uh, and that's how we should look at God in a... Um, of course, that's an incomplete sense, but that, that gives us an idea of how we should look at God. Yeah, God loves us, but we should also fear God. And that should direct our behavior. That should direct our attitude and our thoughts and our speech and our actions and how we live for God because we love God and He loves us, but we also fear God. And those things should not be separated. They should be one and the same. Uh, two sides of a coin. So, uh, let's go back to Exodus. Let's, let's go to Exodus. Um, with all that in mind, Exodus 33. Moses here is standing before the people of Israel. They've just come out of the promise. I mean, they just come out of Egypt. They've just been freed from hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years of oppression. And they're coming through the wilderness. And if you remember the story, they come out. And almost immediately, the Israelites are like, we need to go back. They were complaining about Egypt. Now they're in the wilderness heading towards the promised land. And they're like, we're going to die. I'd just rather die in Egypt. If I'd rather not die out here. There's no food. There's no water. And of course, along the way, God's providing them all these things. And Moses is just beside himself. I mean, there's a million plus people here and one man leading them all. And Moses here, has, they're at Mount Sinai now. Uh, remember, Moses goes up there for 40 days. He comes back and what's Israel doing? Well, they're worshiping an idol. They're, they've already started worshiping a golden calf. He hasn't been gone 
just over a month. And they've already started, they've already forgotten God. And they've made him into this golden calf. And Moses comes down, and this is where, where we're here. And he says to God in, in verse 12 there, and we read it this morning so I won't go through it all. He says to God, God, you've told me to lead these people, but who's going to go with me? There's a million plus people here, and I'm supposed to lead all these people? Who are you sending with me? Who's coming with me, God? And he's, he's almost doubting here. He's like, how am I supposed to do this? And God says these two things to him. He says, remember Moses. And this is coming from verse uh, 12. He says, I know you by name. And you have found favor in my sight. He says those words of comfort to Moses. He says, I know you by name, and you have found favor in my sight. And that's because Moses has been willing to do what uh, discipleship uh, asks, asks, asks him to do. What God asks him to do. He's been willing to do whatever it takes. He's been willing to take up that cross and do whatever it takes to fulfill God's purposes in his life. And God's saying that to you this morning. He knows you by name. You've found favor in His sight. If you profess Christ, He wants you to be a part of His plan. He wants to use you. He desires to use you. A lot of times what's holding us back uh, from God using us is ourselves. Because we don't fully desire that God would use us. Because we're too consumed with our own selfish desires. And here He says to Moses, I know you by name, and you've found favor in my sight. And he repeats it again to Moses in verse 17. Just a few verses later, God repeats those same words to Moses. And why is that? Well, it's because Moses needed a reminder. Moses needed God to remind him again. We need God to remind us of that. Because we falter. Because we forget. Because the circumstances of this world bear down on us. Because something happens and we forget God. And here, God reminds Moses again. Because he loves us. Because he desires to use him for his glory. And in light of all that, Moses says to him, Show me your ways, God. Show me your ways. And towards the end of the passage, he gets a little bolder and he says, Show me your glory. And that should be our prayer for our lives. That's a prayer that I say a few times a day. I just say, God, show me your ways. I don't even say amen. I say, God, show me your ways. Please show me your ways. Show me your glory today, God. Show me how to live for you today. Show me what I need to do in my life that is going to make a lasting effect, an eternal effect for your kingdom. Because I don't just want to live here and then die. I don't just want to exist here. If I did, uh, we wouldn't be moving, like I said. But we're going to a place that, as Pastor Gary said, we're going to a place that is dark, that isn't going to be easy, uh, that isn't going to be comfortable, that uh, we're going to get persecuted in, uh, that's going to be tough. But we know that God is with us. And many of you say that, like, well, you want to be wherever God God has led you. You want to be in God's will. That's the best place for you to be. But how many of us believe that? And we believe it. And that's why we're going. So, ask God to show you His ways. Ask
God to show you His glory. And let Him do it. Let Him just show you those things. And live for Him. Let's pray. Father,